Hey, my friend, welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. My name is Lori Seitz. I'm an entrepreneur, mentor, founder of Zen Rabbit, and your instigator in saying fuck being fine. This show is for those of you who are done living with the dumpster fire and are ready to find the tools and courage to transform, to step into more success and fulfillment in both your personal and business life. You're in the right place for stories of self-discovery, gratitude, and connection. And to help you strengthen that connection to your own inner guidance, you'll find each episode has an accompanying meditation. Now let's get into it. I am so truly blessed to have the most incredible people show up to tell their stories on this show. Today, it's Sabrina Victoria. She's sharing about her upbringing as a Jehovah's Witness and how she got kicked out of that community, what she went through in the abusive relationship she thought would save her, and the lessons she's learned that have allowed her to create this abundant and thriving life she lives now. No doubt you'll be astounded at her patience, organization, and courage. She exhibits all three at the highest levels. Sabrina Victoria is the creator and CEO of Human Better 365, a human transformation company. She's the creator of the Her Version podcast, speaker, entrepreneur, and author of Envision Your Best Life 90-Day Planner, and creator of Catapult Your Life in 365 Days, self-proclaimed queen of time, Sabrina focuses on time management and organization as the foundation of life. Today's episode is sponsored by Zen Rabbit. The question many people are asking lately is, how do I find and maintain peace of mind? With everything going on in your world and the world as a whole, staying grounded can be challenging. Yet your happiness and well-being are dependent on your ability to find your center, to tap into your inner knowing. Your health and sanity are at stake here. This is where the Fuck Being Fine program for individuals and companies comes in. It's time to stop saying everything's fine when clearly everyone's hair is on fire. The program teaches business leaders and their teams how to stay calm and grounded no matter what's going on. So you can focus better, respond thoughtfully instead of react impulsively, work more efficiently, and ultimately increase profitability. If this sounds like something that would be valuable in your work environment, message me at lori at zenrabbit.com or text me at 571-317-1463. Hello and welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. My guest today is Sabrina Victoria, and I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. So jumping right into it, what were the, the values and the beliefs that you were raised with that contributed to you becoming who you've become. So I'm going to say absolutely nothing. (laughs) I'm going to say a lot of nothing. Um, I had to recreate um, a lot of my views and a lot of my uh, values 
during this journey because uh, I didn't really appreciate what I was given as, as a young one. I was born and raised as a Jehovah's Witness and I had a mindset of being very quiet and very submissive and not having a voice and did not question anything ever because I did try to do that a couple of times and it didn't really work out in my favor. So I learned very quickly to quiet myself. And along the journey, I ended up in very controlling, abusive relationships because of that like personality trait that I had acquired at a young age. And in order to get out of those circumstances, I had to recreate myself. I had to find my own power. I had to figure out new value systems, new belief systems that were totally different than what I had previously held on to in order to become who I am today. At what age did you start questioning? Probably 16, 17, but I didn't do anything. So when I finally started to voice myself would be 30. It was literally okay. 30. Um, I went to this, which you may have heard of it. It's called Landmark. Yeah. Landmark Forum. It's like an education that you could get that like a lot of people don't necessarily appreciate very much. But I freaking loved it because it was so different than anything I had ever heard of before. And that was kind of what catapulted me into the world of self-development like full force. I had been to Tony Robbins. Cool. I had been to like a gratitude course and stuff, but that whole genre of that is what really kind of forced me to use my mouth and like actually think for myself. I want to get more into that, but first I want to talk about the the journey that brought you to that point. Backing up to, I, okay, so you were questioning these these values and, and beliefs as a Jehovah's Witness, and then you ended up leaving because yeah. why? I got pregnant when I was 20. So they have a rule where you're not supposed to date or do anything. You're not even supposed to hold hands with anybody, um, which is why a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses get married super young because their hormones are raging. So they get married. Sure. My sister, for instance, got married at like barely 19 years old. Um, so anyways, I wasn't married. I was still single, single at 20 and I ended up pregnant. And if you end up sinning, then they kick you out. So I got kicked out and I had a chance. I did wind up going back, um, repenting and like doing all of the steps to get back in. But I got back in because they closed off your entire community. So they like totally cut you off from your entire family, your entire church, anything and everything that you ever knew. So you're like desperately just trying to like regain your identity back with these people. So um, I did end up back, but I didn't, wasn't like mentally in. So it's mm -hmm. called like mentally in, physically in. It's like the verbiage that we use in the JW world. So I was mentally out, but physically in. So your parents totally cut you off when you got pregnant. Yeah, for two years. Like, I just find that so, so hard to believe. I mean, I'm not a parent, but I know how strong those parental ties are and to just yeah. cut off your child seems so, I don't even have words. Yeah, it wasn't fun. Um, so I had gotten in trouble before this also. So this was my second time around. I had had sex before marriage. So you're a rebel. Yes. <laughs> That's what they would say. Yes. I had had sex 
at 19 or something like that. And um, I had gotten, it's, I don't, anyways, so I had gotten in trouble already and it was already known in our congregation. I had already brought shame upon my Mm. family's name. So then I did the whole thing back, came back, and then I ended up again, but this time pregnant. So my parents freaked out literally freaked out because I kept it a secret for four months. Finally, they like brought me outside. They're like, what's going on? You're throwing up in the toilet. You're gaining weight. You're up till three o'clock in the morning. Like something is off. So I didn't even hesitate. I'm like, I'm pregnant. And that was not good. It was horrible. Kicked me out of the house, told me never to contact them again, told me to never call. Don't ever ask for money or shame on the name. But then 24 hours later, I like called my boyfriend. He's coming to get me going across state lines. to like, get all my stuff. And over that 24 hours of all of that stuff happening, my parents sat down with me and they said, hey, listen, what are are you going to do here? Like, are you staying? Are you going? Like, we want to help. But like, what is wrong with you? You know, like... (laughs) Is this like a thing? Do you want to? And it was just, it was so much. It was so confusing. I was so embarrassed. I felt so bad for my parents. They had already said like a bunch of really, really mean things to me that like hurt my Mm -hmm. feelings. And like only a few hours had passed. So I had, my boyfriend's on the way. So I had to make a decision to like, what am I going to do? So I just left. I just left. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to do this again to you guys. You guys are obviously super pissed at me. I don't want to be in that atmosphere. He's already on his way. So when I made that decision, they're like, fine. And and everything was cut at that moment. And so, yeah, my son was born. We called to tell them and like no response. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Was, was your boyfriend part of that community? No, that was the okay. whole thing. That's what really like was really bad. But the thing is, is if you do stuff like that inside, they like coerce you to tell on each other. So if you want to like have a relationship, like my love language is physical touch. So like, I'm like fiending for like uh, anything. So you can't do that within that religion because they tell on each other. So I just knew out of experience that like, it's better to keep that outside, Mm -hmm. but I ended up pregnant. So now you and your boyfriend have this baby. Yeah. Where does the story go from there? So um, I end up, uh, I have the baby. Dad, we're three months in. Dad is going to church with me, like reluctantly, not wanting to, just trying Mm -hmm. to like, whatever. Three months in, the elders of our congregation sit down with me and they say, hey, listen, this is confusing. You're still living in sin. You need to make a decision to either marry him or leave him. You can't be doing this. God doesn't Mm -hmm. appreciate this. So me being dumb, thinking like God is going to somehow magically save me. I don't even know what I was thinking. I'm like, I just want to get, I was just want to get back with God. I like want my mom. Like I want to be able to call my mom. Sure. So I was just, I'm just like, just dumb. And I just, I went to my boyfriend and I was like, we got to break up. We got to break up. I'm trying to get right with God. I'm trying to do the, and he flies off the handle and just leaves the state. No child support, nothing. He just runs away. Which, like, makes sense. But I was like, well, doesn't, like, make sense. But, like, but it makes sense, right? Right, right. It's understandable. (laughs) Yeah. Especially because, wait, wait, how old was he? He was young, too, right? Well, I was 21, and he was, like, two or three years older than me. 
Yeah, I mean, still very. Yeah, you both we're are so young. You're you're doing what you can with the knowledge and experience you have, which is not very much. Yeah. So it didn't yeah. occur to me again, young, stupid, naive, that like I need money. So yeah. I thought that like he would just leave and then still like pay half. I don't know child support. He but he had no money, so he left. Mm. Just like wanted nothing to do with me. And then I'm just sitting it in, in this house or in this apartment, car, baby, daycare, food, diaper, all by myself. I have no college education. Church is still not talking to me because I'm still disfellowshipped, but they're making me make financial decisions, but they're not helping me financially. No parents, no, no, nothing. So now I'm literally by myself. I don't even know. Wanting to kill myself, wanting to jump off a bridge, wanting to put my baby at the nearest fire station, wanting it to end, run away, just mess. And I wind up falling into a relationship months later. Like bare, eviction notices on my apartment door, cars getting repoed out of the parking lot, all this stuff. I made a man who I think is like my savior. Mm. He's like gonna help me. He's got his finances together. And long story short, um, very quickly, I move in with him. I quit my job, start working for him. I give up my phone and go under his phone bill. I get rid of my car and start using his car. And before I know it, very within a very short amount of time, he's controlling my entire life. So um, I have no money still and have absolutely no control over anything going on in my life whatsoever. So mental abuse was horrific, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, obviously financial abuse. I had no money. Mm. And I did that for, I stayed with him for 13 years in total, utter misery. How did he not fine. treat your, how did he, t- yeah, yeah, not fine. But, but to everything <laughs> on the outside, it probably looked fine, right? This is the whole thing. Yes, Oh, to everyone beautiful. else, everything was, yeah. I played it. Yeah, I played that role perfectly. He loved it. Yeah, I played that role perfectly. But I played that role perfectly for my own, I had no other right. options, you know? Right. This is the thing that we talk about a lot in, in my Fuck Being Fine program and on, on other episodes is that a lot of times people don't even, they say everything is fine because- they don't want to acknowledge even to themselves that it's not. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly where I was. Super crappy place to be. Mm. All right. So yeah, on so you're not even admitting to yourself that everything is not fine. Because that what would that have meant to have that you would have to do? You would have to address it or take care yeah. of it or do something, right? Make changes, yeah. And I couldn't financially make any changes because I didn't have any money to escape or go anywhere. So I was completely reliant or dependent on either him or somebody to help me because I had no money. Mm-hmm. Did yeah. you have any friends? Yeah. I mean, eventually, you know, um, I still I had my best friend who I had forever, who I had from Chicago, who we kept in touch through phone or social media, whatever. And this last, when I actually left, left was a woman who I like owe my life to. Her name is Dina, who um, contacted me. She was renting out her home. She knew I was in a situation because I had opened up to her. I had been saving money and she on a whim, she's just like, hey, listen, I'm uh, moving out for just a little while, a couple years with my son. I'm renting out my house. You have a week or two, like, I don't know what she said, a week or two to decide. And then I'm listing it. So like make a decision. And she forced me to like say yes to my life. If she wouldn't have done that, I don't know what would have happened. I think that the outcome would have been different because I was so scared shitless of change. 
mm-hmm. of change. Of course. So of she course. like pinned me down and she was like, make a decision right now. And within two days, I, fr- I was, um, I, if, if I could like show you the inside of my body, it was like boiling. I was like so nervous, like literally physically shaking in my boots in total turmoil of mm-hmm. like stepping out into my power, like for real. Um, but, but I did it. Yeah. Something greater was calling to you to say that this, you can't stay in this place any longer. And no matter how scared you are, you have to do this. And now is the time. Here's the opportunity. Like, it's like the universe talking to you saying, here it is. You can't say mm-hmm. no to this. I mean, you could have, yeah. but it, it inspired you to say yes. Yeah. It was all, it was too perfect. Yeah. So, so you, so you took the opportunity and you moved out and what did your, were you married to him or he was just your boyfriend? We were engaged. Uh, the last four years we were together, he had proposed to me four years prior. Um, and the, the engagement weekend is actually the weekend that I decided to leave him, but that was it. Okay. But you were waiting four years. Yeah. Well, I had to save. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Created a whole plan undercover to why leave. why didn't you get married? Was it because you knew you were going to leave, or was it because yes. he like did he keep asking you when are we getting married? Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, he continued to ask me, and it was it was I had to be very strategic. I had to be very like tread lightly. I didn't want to marry him. Mm-hmm. I did not want to marry him. A few of my friends were like, just marry him. Because at that point we had reached a financial level that was like out of this world. You know, mm-hmm. I was working my ass off. He was playing golf every day, but I was working my ass off. I was running all the offices. I was running like a hundred people, um, door to door sales crews. And we were free. We had five houses paid off, zero debt, 12 cars. Like we were just living great. Mm-hmm. And people were like, dude, you freaking worked your ass off. You need to like take what's yours. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't, I didn't want that whole mess. Like I wasn't trying to, I wasn't with him for the money. I was with him mm-hmm. because I honestly wanted a family. I honestly wanted it to work. Um, I wasn't trying to get anything from him ever one time. And then when it got to that point where I finally realized it wasn't going to work, I didn't want all that drama just wanted to leave. You know, I just wanted out. I wanted to leave. I didn't want any ties to him. I didn't want him to ever be able to say at one point, cause I knew what I was going to build the vision that I have and what I'm building right now. I, I already had that vision. I already knew what, what my story was going to be. I already knew what my voice was going to sound like. I already knew the platforms that I was going to be creating. And I didn't want him at any point during this journey that I'm creating right now for him to say like, yeah, the only reason she got that was because of whatever the mm. frick he wanted to say. I have two questions. One, what happened when you left? Like, did he come after you? What happened? And then my second question is, how did you get this vision that you were already seeing? So, uh, yeah, he did totally freak out. So what happened at the end, I had saved. So over the last four years I was with him, I opened up a secret bank account, a secret storage unit, eBay account, offer up account, and Fiverr account. And under the radar, he had no idea this was happening. I was listing stuff and selling stuff like out of the trunk of my car, basically. So like 
when he was like sleeping or not paying attention, I would like take all this stuff and just throw it in the trunk of my car, packing tape, scissors, envelopes mm -hmm. and crap all over the trunk of my car. And I would, I was running this business out of the trunk of my car base and my phone. So over four years, I, at the end, I collected $50,000. It took me four years, but I was able to collect $50,000. But a year before I was going to leave, we always would have these blow. For those of you that are in abusive relationships, you know that they're like explosive, like beyond. So an, an explosive argument happened, which is normal. And I used that excuse to move from his bedroom into the guest bedroom on purpose because I already knew what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, he didn't know. He just thought I was like angry, mm -hmm. but I was like, that's it. I'm moving into the guest room. And it was this whole thing. I took all of my crap out of his, everything, bathroom, mm -hmm. everything out of his room and put it in the guest room. And my son and I had Jack and Jill rooms sharing a bathroom okay. for the last year that I, the, for the last year I was there. So what I would do is every few days I would bundle up some of my stuff in my room, some of my stuff in my son's room. He didn't know. Um, and I throw it in the trunk of my car. I take him to school and then I would take the stuff in my trunk, drop it at my storage unit and then just go about my day. So slowly started emptying out stuff. And two weeks before I was supposed to actually like exit the relationship. He calls me up. I'll never forget it. I was at the container store living my best life. I've got money in the bank. I have my own place. I've already rented my, my, the house from that woman. I'm like showering over there. I am like feeling so powerful and I'm waiting. I'm just, I knew, I know that this day is coming and it's just slowly approaching, but he calls me two weeks before the date. And he's just swearing like, what the fuck is that? What the what? And, and I knew, I knew, but I was chill. I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I went into your room and I was uh, to run the robo vac uh -huh. and I opened the closet and there's one fucking dress in, and I'm like a dress whore. So okay. like my closet's full. Um, but I had been selling stuff on eBay and uh -huh. all my shit was now at my house. Right. So there was one dress, there was one thing in my closet. There were shoes and a dress. That's it. And cause what I would do is I would just alternate. So I would just bring one mm -hmm. dress with me every time. Cause I knew it was coming and I didn't want to have to like grab a bunch of stuff when I left. I wanted to just be able to like put it in my purse and walk out. So, um, he's like, come home right now. You have my car. Cause I was driving his car. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we need to talk about this. What are you doing? All the stuff that people say when you're breaking up. So I was like, I'll come home when I'm ready to come home. I'm uh, doing something. I'm like, I'm busy. Mm -hmm. So I went about whatever I was doing. I was at the container store. I was getting stuff for like my place. And eventually I come home. I ate first. I made sure I ate. Came home. We sat down. He's like, let's just talk about it. He's very calm, collective. And um, gave him like an hour to like talk or whatever. And he already knew. I mean, we, I mean, I had told him a thousand times I was leaving you know, literally. But he didn't so, believe you. Yeah, no, because it had been 13 years. Right, right, of course. And he thought he had con complete control of you. So why would he think you were going to leave? And he thought I had no money. So he's like, how are you doing this? He accused me of cheating. He's like, who are you moving in with? Who's paying you? Who's helping you? And I'm like, absolutely nobody. I'm literally doing this all by myself. So I grabbed my dress, grabbed my shoes, my toothbrush, whatever I had over there, and walked out the door with my bicycle. So my bicycle was still at his house. I dropped the keys to my car. 
I dropped my phone. I dropped my, I already had a new phone. I dropped my computer. Okay, I already got a new computer. And I had already set the whole thing up. And I walked out in my, with my bag, with my couple things and my mm-hmm. bicycle. And I friggin' rode my bike to my house. And he didn't follow you or try to get you like. Th- yeah, he did. I mean, it was, yeah, it was a whole thing. He, um, he showed up. Yeah, he knew where I lived. He knew where she, you know, she was my friend. So he knew where she lived, where I stayed in the same area. So. But yeah, he'd show up, he'd knock on the door. He came in a couple times trying to get me back, accusing me of stealing some of his stuff. He'd be like, this is my towel. And I'm like, no, that towel is from Goodwill. I paid 50 cents for it. (laughs) (laughs) Accused me of stealing a tape measure, um, which, no, didn't steal your tape measure. So, and they're literally fighting over stuff like that. I'd be like, go back to your house right now. And that tape measure is in your toolbox. This is my tape measure. Like Mm, just dumb stuff that he was trying to, yeah. Okay. So the more interesting question was that second one, which was how did you come up with this plan? Because you're talking, I mean, when we started out here, you're like this naive little girl from Jehovah's Witness background and didn't know anything and had nothing. And then- got involved with this relationship with somebody who was so controlling and still didn't really give you a lot of freedom. And you built this entire vision and this plan and you were so patient about it. I mean, so organized and patient. Like this is some incredible planning skills and um, execution skills. I always say that his decision to bring me into his life um, was the best decision he's ever made and him allowing me to leave his life was the stupidest decision he's ever made because the only reason he got to where he got to, and I will say this until the day I die, I don't care what he says. The only reason he got to where he got to financially is because of me. When I first met him, he was literally working out of his little townhouse in a little loft on his second floor. And once he teamed up with, I'm like big vision, So like you give me something, anything, I don't care what it is. You give me a coffee shop and we're going worldwide. Like, I don't give a fuck. So he gave me, he gave me a business. He had a business. Now, when I was that young, I didn't know like, oh, I'm a big visionary. I just did what was innately inside of me to just grow big. Like it's just in me to just take something and make it enormous. So within a very short amount of time, we were, I was contacting new newspapers within the state, you know, contacting other locations. And we just, it just like, it just time after time after time just kept growing and um, ended up, you know, down here in Florida. I was still working with him down here in Florida and started with one newspaper, went to two, went to three, went to four. We, I hooked up with uh, AT&T. I hooked up with ADT. I hooked up with Comcast. So it just grew exponentially, exponentially. So when I was realizing like, hey, this isn't working. He's not a team player. Like I'm pretty much out. He's putting me down constantly. He's telling me I'm stupid constantly. He's telling me that I don't know what I'm doing. Constantly telling me I don't know business. I don't know money. I don't, but, but like everything just keeps growing. It was exactly what a narcissist does. Mm-hmm. And when I started reading about empowering, I started reading about finances. I started reading about all this stuff. Later on, once I was leaving, I started to realize like, oh my gosh, I'm already doing all of this. I'm just doing it for somebody else. I'm helping somebody. I'm helping somebody else build their kingdom. I need to start mm-hmm. building my own kingdom. So I just kind of dove into what, what I was already doing 
which was helping myself. And I was like, if I can take what I am doing for myself right now, and I can give the same exact information for somebody else to Mm -hmm. learn, to be able to do the same thing for their life, genius, absolutely genius. So I started working on my company, you know, two or three years, right when I was ready to leave, I was already opening up my websites. Like I had websites going that like he didn't know about, like my name Mm -hmm. was already being published. I was already starting a YouTube channel, but I just wasn't marketing or telling him about anything. So he didn't even know to Google it. And he wasn't on social media. He's 10 or 11 years older than me. So that was like, he Mm -hmm. wasn't on there to even know to look things up. So yeah, and it's just snowballed into what it's becoming, you know, and we're, I'm still in the baby stages. Like I'm going real big. So it's just, you know, I, I've come a long, long ways but we still have a long, long ways to go. And I'm super excited about it. I love it. I'm so excited for you. Now I want to come back to the whole, the, you mentioned Landmark. How did you find, what are the tools that you used to, I don't know if heal yourself is the right term, but to, I guess it, it partially is to, I mean, cause you went through a lot of trauma. Yeah. And to, um, to bring yourself to this healthier place where you are now. How did you find those tools? What were they? Talk about that a little bit. So the main one that I used consistently, um, if I was going to give advice, would be I I came out of victimhood. So my majority of my life, you know, this, all this that I'm doing right now is only over the past 10 years. So for the majority of my life, I'm almost 40, I'm going to be 40 this year. So the majority of my life, I was just playing the victim. I was, woe is me, poor me. Um, you know, he does this, he did that, they did this to me Mm. and I am this way because of them. And it's very, uh, disempowering. And, um, I learned that I need to take my power back. And I learned that every single situation and every single struggle that I've ever been through in my entire life taught me something. And that is my advice to anybody. Just If there's just one thing, you have to look back at your challenges and your past struggles and figure out what was the lesson that you learned from that circumstance. Because there is now a tool that you have that's like lost somewhere because we're not organized as people, but it's like lost in there that you have right now Mm -hmm. because of those circumstances that you were in. So you have to like organize your toolbox and find out what did you do? What did you learn from that? And then once your, your tools are organized, then as you go through life and you start getting more challenges or more struggles, you have some tools to, to pick from. And then you continue to build more tools as you go along. So what are you learning? Such a good analogy about the tools and choosing the tools from the box. Yeah. Yeah, we're always learning. You're always, that's all we're doing, actually. There's literally nothing else that we're doing. There's nothing. We eat and we sleep, but the only thing we are always ever doing is learning. That's it. And then right. you die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. That's that's exactly it. We, we put so much pressure on ourselves and so much meaning into everything that we're doing every day. And it really just comes back to we're learning. We're on this path. And we're learning as we go along. And I would throw in, and we're also here to have fun. So throw some of that into the the whole learning experience. That. Learning can I be fun. That. Didn't we learn that on Sesame Street? Um. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I agree with you on that. Cool. So you mentioned you mentioned Landmark. Were there other tools that were specifically 
influential to you or or practices that you continue to to partake in now? I mean, yeah, the um a, a big one that's coming to mind now is the word and. So, um, you know, living with the acknowledgement of things don't have to be either or. A lot of times people think that they have to when they're making decisions in life like it can either be this or it can be that. And we, we need to sometimes, yes, but a lot of times the things in our, in our life can be added to, so it doesn't have to be yes or no. It could be yes and no. Or yes and yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like an actual example of that. That's like, uh, for some reason, I, I guess I'm hungry. I'm thinking of a sandwich. Like, you know, can, do you want spaghetti or do you want a sandwich? And you can literally be like a sandwich and spaghetti. Like you can do both. Yes. Um, but there's, there's real life examples with that. And I apologize for not being able to think of one, but you know, living in a world of, of, and versus, um, arguing with people, you know, over things. So, you know, did you do this and this and this? Yes, I did. And I didn't mean to do that. You know, mm-hmm. did you, did you say it, you know, you said it this way and you hurt my feelings? Yes. And, you know, you frustrated me, you know, so it kind of allows us to be able to live in a world of, uh, both, both, mm-hmm. both people can be right. You can have more than just one or the other. It's more abundance. It's living in more abundance, I think in, in, a, in a lot of areas. Yeah, recognizing that we live in an abundant universe and there is so much more available once you start seeing it. It's that being open to it and seeing the possibilities. Yeah, like I can be a mother and be wealthy. You know, I can be a single mother and, you know, have my own life. There's a lot of times mm-hmm. we think it's either, you know, either or like if you're a single mom, then you can't get married. If you're, if you're a mother, then you can't be an entrepreneur. And it's not that way. You know, you can mm-hmm. be more, you can, you can end your life a lot more. If you get creative, you know, you have to be creative. Our brains are meant to create. They're like imagination factories. We, we have to like start thinking bigger and broader. Like what if, you know, what if, can you add more ands into your mm-hmm. life? Wasn't it Walt Disney who said the imagination is the is like a preview of coming attractions in your life? I love it. I don't know, but I but it's true. Yes. yes. You know, that's one of the things that I teach. You know, a lot of what I the foundation of what I teach is time management and organization. And I talk about all the time that we need to start getting that stuff out of our head and putting it down on paper because we're not leaving enough room for our brains to be able to create um solutions for the problems that we have in our life to create the brilliance that we're supposed to have in our life because we have our grocery list taking up Mm -hmm. freaking room in our brain you know or or arguments that we're having with our mother or whatever it is like we got to get that shit out you got to take it out and write it down so that we can open up and allow you know actual creativity to be happening inside our our head yes and i'm i admit i'm not a great journaler I don't do it consistently, but I also wasn't a meditator for very uh, consistently for a long time. And now look at me, I'm all, that's what I'm teaching people. So (laughs) I'm doing it, I'm teaching it, but yes. And the journaling part maybe is the next part. Is that something that you do? It sounds like, sounds like something you do consistently. Yeah. Um, my journaling is different at the moment. My journaling and yeah, it has, it's morphed though. It's evolved and it's constantly evolving, but my journaling has turned into a conglomerate of note-taking 
after podcasts, so like after I jump off a podcast like this, I have whole notebooks filled <laughs> filled with just mm. things that I learned, things that I appreciated, things that I want to change, um, things that reminded me of something else that like, you know, it triggered something, feelings, thoughts, I just get it all down on paper. Um, when I was younger, it used to be very much like today, I, mm -hmm. yesterday, I am mad at my mom or my, it was more of a diary, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's become more of a, uh, a vomit of like all of the things that are going on in my head all of the time. Cause it's a lot, but I think it's always important to be writing things down. I actually, on Mondays, I don't know if you've ever seen me, but on Mondays I come on, not at a specific time. I think I do that unconsciously on purpose, but on Mondays I sit down and I read from my old journals. I started when I was, yeah, I started from when I was 12. I think I'm at age 15 or 16 now. I'm reading them in chronological order. So it's going to get more and more juicy. I'm like so scared, but oh, I am, I'm reading in chronological order, all of the stuff. I've got so many journals over the, over the years. So it's definitely been a journey and I, I definitely recommend it. I have journals for sale on my Amazon, um, on my Amazon page. I think that it is important to be writing stuff down. Um, and it doesn't have to be like every single day. Sometimes you don't have to write stuff down. Other times you do. Mm -hmm. So I think you kind of have to pick and choose. Wow. You have just given us so much to think about, process, work with. Thank you so much for getting, for, for coming on the show. Before we go, I got to ask you, what is the song that you listen to? I mean, you have a very high level of energy already. So let's say you need to take it up a notch. What is the <laughs> song you listen to? Katy Perry. Roar, R-O-A-R. My mm -hmm. son and I, when the, and I still have this memory in my head vividly, and I will have this memory until the day I die. But when that song came on, that was the song that my son and I would scream. And he was young. I mean, he was maybe 10. I don't know when that song came out. Um, but he was young. And we would sing that song from the, from the bottoms of our souls, uh, with just all of the passion that you could possibly pull from our bodies. And I remember specifically one day, I'm going to get teary-eyed. One day we were at a stoplight pulling into our neighborhood and the song came on and he goes, mom, this is our jam. And we locked eyes and it was just such a euphoric feeling of like mother and son. It was just so beautiful. And he didn't know this, or maybe he did, but I was so taken back at that moment that I literally couldn't sing the song because I was crying mm. so badly out of like so much happiness, just so happy that I was, that I'm his mom. So happy that he loves me. So happy that we're, that we're so free and we're so joyful and like comfortable with each other. And it felt good. It felt really good. So that song had a meaning before even that time, mm. uh, because we used to sing it all the time. But for some reason that day, it was just, it just locked into my soul. And still when I watch it, when, when I had, uh, when you had asked this question, I actually rewatched it. So I want to make sure I was like, the roar, is it roaring or 
whatever, I rewatch it and I'm just tears mm. of like powerful, you know, powerful right. tears. Yeah. But it's such a powerful song and it's everything that I stand for within my brand, within the transformation teaching that I teach. It, it like, it is the mantra of, it is the mantra of for sure. Fantastic. So you just mentioned what you teach, that you teach and that you have a program. So if people wanted to continue a conversation with you, where would be the best place for them to reach you? Um, so my main website is just my name, sabrinavictoria.com. And all of the projects and companies and communities that I work with are there, along with all of my social media. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining me today on Fine is a Four-Letter Word, Sabrina. Thank you. This was fantastic. Here's what blows me away about Sabrina. Do you know what it is? Maybe you're thinking the same thing. It's how calculating and patient and visionary she was in planning her escape. I don't know many people who could have done what she did. Here are the key takeaways. Number one, allow the universe to work through you. When you do that, you can have life-changing impact on other people. Think of what Dina did for Sabrina in offering her the opportunity to rent her house. Look how the universe set that up so perfectly. The timing was exactly right. Sabrina had saved enough money and then she trusted, took that leap of faith, even though she said she was literally shaking. She said, yes. Number two, the one thing we're always doing is learning. Sabrina recommends looking back at your past challenges and struggles and figuring out what lesson you learned from them. Those lessons become tools in your toolbox as you move through life. And you're always accumulating more tools. Number three, Remember the word and. When you're making decisions, it doesn't necessarily have to be a choice between this or that. It could be both. Looking at things from this perspective allows you to live in more abundance. We talked about how the word and opens up options in the episode with Lisa David Olson too. Number four, write it all down. Get all the stuff in your head down on paper so you can have enough room in your brain to open up and allow, and create the brilliance you're supposed to have in your life. Number five, lastly, the overarching theme of this whole episode is, it doesn't matter where you start from, how little education you have, what other people say or do to you, or what kind of challenges have been thrown across your path. You can set your own course. You can find ways to rise above and win. Thanks for being here and subscribing to Find is a Four-Letter Word. Please share this show with a friend or a colleague. If you're feeling especially generous, leave a review so other people like you can discover the show too. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and all the major podcast directories. You can join me on social too. On Instagram, it's zen underscore rabbit. You can find links to the other platforms at zenrabbit.com. Before you go, remember to take a moment to think about what you're grateful for today. Lastly, you can find this week's meditation queued up right after this episode. And if no one's told you this week, I'm proud of you. Take good care.